Well, good evening, CFFC. Welcome to Wednesday night, church. Praise the Lord. This being Resurrection Week, we just especially want to praise you, Lord. We thank you for what you've done, the accomplished work of the cross. We thank you, Lord God, as we examine these things and we look through these things and we see what you've accomplished. We thank you and we glorify you and we praise you in Jesus' name. We thank you for anointing this vessel to share this message. We praise you for everything you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome, everybody. It's good to have you here tonight. So I've really been examining something, and I've been talking to a few people lately, and I realized something. It's very hard for us to realize the humanity of Jesus Christ. And it's not Christ that's the humanity. It's Jesus that's the humanity. And we need to examine that. We really need to get the understanding of it. Because if we don't understand that he became fully human to buy us back, then we won't be able to relate to what he actually suffered and what he did. So in Galatians chapter 4, in verses 4 through 6, and this is in the New King James, it says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. You know, until we fully understand what it meant that he became a human, that God himself stripped off his deity. He stripped off his godliness. He took off everything that made him Christ to walk this earth as a human being, to be born as a baby. And it's hard for our minds to comprehend that. We think of Jesus, oh, the perfect child of God. But yet we missed that he was perfect in humanity. You know, we're in humanity, but we're imperfect, each and every one of us. I've been facing that a lot lately in myself. I've been really realizing how much imperfection dwells in this human body. But in his human body, there was still the fullness of perfection even though it wasn't deity that made him perfection. It was the humanity of Christ that made him perfect. And he remained that way. And he stayed that way so that he could purchase us back. In Romans chapter 1, in verses 1 through 7, again in the New King James, Paul wrote this, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness 
by the resurrection from the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it amazes me when I read that. It amazes me and it takes hold of my heart so much that we were called according to what he was doing. And we were called to that long before time even began. It was one of the greatest mysteries of all time, and it was hidden from everybody. It was hidden from humanity. It was hidden from even the angels themselves. But most importantly, it was hidden from Satan. He had no clue of what was going to happen. And that truly takes hold of me because the only way, the only way for us to be purchased back was be purchased through humanity, not deity. And we don't see that many times. It's mind-blowing to our humanity that Jesus walked this earth as a pure man but as a mortal man. If he walked this earth as deity, the crucifixion never would have happened. If he had walked this earth as, as deity, he wouldn't have been able to purchase us back. We wouldn't have been able to be brought under that promise. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18, and I'm going to read it in two translations. I want you to hear this. This is the New King James. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is, he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you, and again, I will put my trust in him, and again, here am I and the children who God has given me, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. And therefore, in all things, he had, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself suffered being tempted. He is able to aid those 
who are tempted. And when I read that last sentence, it really hit my heart. No one can tempt God, and God cannot be tempted. Yet Jesus, in the flesh of his humanity, was tempted in all ways, in all manners that we'll ever face. In fact, I believe in my heart that he was probably tempted above and beyond the things that we face in this world. And he overcame them all in flesh. We know he overcame them by the word of God and through the word of God, which taught us the lesson that we can do the same. In Hebrews 2, 5 through 18, again, in the Passion Translation, for God will not place the coming world of which we speak under the government of angels, but the scriptures affirm, what is man that you would ever think about him or care about Adam's race? You made him lower than the angels for a little while. You placed your glory and your honor upon his head as a crown, and you have given him dominion over the works of your hands, for you have placed everything under his authority. This means that God has left nothing outside the control of his son, even if presently we have yet to see this accomplished. But we see Jesus, who as a man, lived for a short time lower than the angels and has now been crowned with glorious honor because of what he suffered in his death. For it was by God's grace that he experienced death's bitterness on behalf of everyone. For now he towers above all creation. For all things exist through him and for him and that God made him pioneer of our salvation, perfect through his sufferings. For this is how he brings many sons and daughters to share in his glory. Jesus, the Holy One, makes us holy. And as sons and daughters, we now belong to his same Father. So he is not ashamed or embarrassed to introduce us as brothers and sisters, for he has said, I will reveal who you really are to my brothers and sisters. I will glorify you with praises in the midst of the congregation and my confidence rests in God. And again, he says, here I am, one with the children Yahweh has given me. Since all his children have flesh and blood, so Jesus became human to fully identify with us. He did this so that he could experience death and annihilate the effects of the intimidating accuser who holds against us the power of death. By embracing death, Jesus sets free those who live their entire lives in bondage to the tormenting dread of death. For it is clear that he didn't do this for the angels, but for all the sons and daughters of Abraham. And this is why he had to be a man and take hold of humanity in every way. 
He made us his brothers and sisters and became our merciful and faithful king priest before God as the one who removed our sins to make us one with him. He suffered and he endured every test and temptation so that he can help us every time we pass through the ordeals of life. See, when you really look at that, and you see that scripture for what it says, it's very clear. Jesus became a human. He was human in every single way, in every endeavor, in everything that he did. And yet, he was perfect. And he lived perfectly. Jesus never sinned. He never broke a covenant. He continued on in the ways of God, the ways that he wants us to be to the best of our ability. And then, at the end of it all, he gave himself for us. He became our sins. Jesus, the human, he became our sins. You know, I was talking to somebody not long ago, and I was explaining to them about the Garden of Gethsemane, and the thing that I really got out of it that really expanded my, my thinking on everything. The battle of humanity versus deity. If he had been deity, and when that moment came, that that betrayal came, and then he knew it was coming, and he was going into the garden to pray. And he was down on his knees, and he said, Father, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, your will, not my will, be done. When he prayed that, three times he prayed it, and it said that it was so fervent that he literally was sweating like blood. That was his humanity. The battle of humanity and deity. The battle of, I know the mission that I have. I know that I was born to die. I know that I was born to be the sacrificial lamb, the perfect lamb of God. But yet in humanity, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me that I don't have to bear it. But nevertheless, Lord, your will, not mine, be done. How many times in our lives do we feel that God is calling us to do something and we have the battle of will? You know, and people don't always understand that. God gave a free will to each and every person, including Jesus. Imagine if Jesus had gone into that garden and prayed, and instead of saying, nevertheless, your will be done, not mine, said, my will be done, and stood up in the middle of that prayer and said, I can't do this, and walked away. You know, I examined that in me many times. 
But Lord, I really don't want to do this. Sometimes it's hard to yield the flesh and say, Lord, nevertheless, your will, not mine, be done. But it's so worth it to follow the footsteps of our Lord, to say, Lord, I don't really want to do this this way, but let me lay it down. Let me follow what the example was in our Lord and our Savior, and let us do it your way. In Romans 5, in 17 through 21 in the Passion Translation, the Scripture says this, Death once held in its grip, and by the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. But now, how much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in life, enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah. In other words, just as condemnation came upon all people through one transgression, so through one righteous act of Jesus' sacrifice, the perfect righteousness that makes us right with God and leads us to a victorious life is now available to all. One man's disobedience opened the door for all humanity to become sinners. So also, one man's obedience opened the door for many to be made perfectly right with God and acceptable to him. So then, the law was introduced in God's plan to bring the reality of human sinfulness out of hiding. And yet, Wherever sin increased, there was more than enough of God's grace to triumph over all the more. And just as sin resigned, or I'm sorry, and just as sin reigned through death, so also the sin-conquering grace will reign as king over righteousness, imparting eternal life through Jesus our Lord and Messiah. When we really get hold of that scripture and that understanding, we don't want to live reigning in sin anymore. Yet our yearning is to be righteous in all things. The reality of it is we're still in the flesh and we're not perfect. It's a battle. It's a fight of faith. But isn't it a joyous fight knowing that Jesus already gave it all for all of us? He already made the way. He made us righteous in him so that even when we come up short, we can turn to him and say, Lord, your grace, your mercy. Father, pour out your grace and mercy today again, afresh and anew. Cleanse me again as I work on the outsides and on this, our mind. I don't want to dwell on sin. I want to dwell in righteousness. I want to dwell and reign in that conquering grace of Jesus Christ. 
I don't want to live in that condemnation or that guilt anymore. And see, that's what the world tries to hold us to. It tries to hold us in that unrighteous, broken state and hold us in that condemnation, in that guilt. Each and every one of us has to fight that. When you come up short, the first thing that comes is that guilt feeling rises up. You have to harness that before it goes anywhere and say, no, I am the righteousness in Christ Jesus. I'm still in the flesh, and I'm still battling the flesh. But Lord, through your strength, through your grace, through your goodness, through your finished work, I will overcome. Did you catch that word? I will overcome. Not I might. Not I can. Not someday. I will overcome. Speak those things as though they were. And then do them. In John 1, 1 through 5, verse 14 and verse 17 and 18, this is one of my favorite scriptures. It just spells out so much to my, my understanding. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. You know, when I look at that and I think about that, many people become, and I'm one of them, that I have to battle this very, very carnal-minded in that statement. And we beheld the glory of the Father. Well, what is the glory of the Father? It's spelled out in Romans. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? Perfection. And Jesus Christ was that perfection. He was that glory of God. When we saw him, he was still in the form of a human being. When he was seen on the face of the earth, and I come back to it many times, when he went to his own hometown and they looked at him and said, who is this? It's the carpenter's son. Who, who, what, what does he expect to do here? And their unbelief rose up. And then I stand back and I look at those verses and I say, but the glory of God was revealed in him. He was perfect in every way. In his humanity. In his humanity. He was perfect. And I just look at that and I go, that's where we want to be, Lord. We want to show your glory 
in us. Not that I'm going to be perfect. Trust me. Anybody who knows me knows that I am far from perfect. But I have grown so far in the Lord, and I continue to grow every day, and I seek him more every single day. Why is that? For one thing, I want to honor what he did by stripping himself and sacrificing himself for me. I want others to see that through me. See the life of Christ in me. Do I always live up to that? No. I'm human. I still come up short. I still fight the same fight everybody else does. The flesh and the brain. It gets in the way. But yet, we fight that good fight of faith. Though I might trip and stumble, I get back up and get back in the race. I continue on to move forward. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 through 41, but he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Now, this one is tough. And I want you to try to wrap your head around this if you can. As Jonah spent three days in the belly of the fish, doesn't say whale, it says big fish. As Jonah spent three days, Jesus spent three days in the belly of the earth. What does that mean? I don't know if it was hell or if it was Hades. I don't know which interpretation it is, but the belly of the earth to the best of my knowledge, is the place of torture. And he spent three days there. And why did he spend three days there? Because he died a criminal's death on the cross from my sins and from your sins. And because of that, when he cried out on the cross, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't that God forsook him and threw him away. It was because he had become that full sin nature of the entire world and God the Father had to literally turn away and turn his back to his son. And I'm sorry if that was rude, but it was an example. He had to turn away from him because the Father and sin can't dwell in the same proximity. So he had to take his light, 
his everything back away from his son. And then Jesus was buried in the tomb as a human being. He was dead. He was judged incorrectly, but he was judged as sin. Well, where's the place for a sinner to go? According to my Bible, it's the place of torture. And he went there, and he suffered. But then, on the third day, that's when the Christ was revealed. That's when it was revealed in that dark place who was really locked there. And at that moment, the scripture that says, and every knee shall bow. Even the very demons had to bow their knee. And Satan surrendered the keys of Hades and death to our Lord and Savior, who rose again and then set the captives in paradise free by preaching the gospel to them, and then rose, stopped on the earth to, of course, talk to, of all people, a woman he cast seven demons out of, and assure her that he was going to live forevermore. And then he rose to his father and presented the blood sacrifice. It really, truly is a mind-blowing thought that the Son of God would be tortured. But yet, the revelation of who he really was came true on that day. That's the same resurrection power that dwells within us now through the Holy Spirit. That was the greatest mystery of all. That God would send his Holy Spirit after his son rose to come to live in our hearts, in our spirits, and that he would lead us and guide us and direct us. Greater love hath no man than he laid down his life for a friend. And Jesus laid down his life for all of humanity, willingly. I look at Ephesians 5 often. I teach it to premarital couples. I use it in my wedding ceremonies. And one of the scriptures that really hits my heart so much, and it really continues to grow in me even more is that husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and be willing to lay down your life for her. See, Christ laid down his life and everything to do with it for the church as his bride. Christ, the deity side, that resurrection spirit 
He laid that down for the church. And it really touches my heart so much that we aspire to live that in our lives, laying ourselves down for others, that they can see Christ in us. Again, I'll never be perfect in me. But the more that I try to live out that resurrection power, the closer I come and the further I move towards full sanctification. Will I make it in this life? Not according to my Bible, but in the life to come, that perfection, that glory will be wrapped around us in that glorified body. And I pray that you got something out of this tonight. But I want to just say, if you don't know Jesus, the one who did everything for us, then now's your opportunity to come to know him. The Bible is very clear about this. And if you would just pray a prayer with me and surrender your heart to him, he'll come to live within you and make you perfect in himself. It's a process, but he can do it. Repeat after me, Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you tonight. We come before you on this wonderful time of year. And we say, Lord, we confess our sins before you. And we thank you as we repent that you forgive us and cleanse us. We ask Jesus the Christ to come into our hearts. We open the door to him to come in. And we thank you, Lord, that you declared in your word that is by proclaiming with our mouth and believing in our heart that we are born again, saved, and enter into your kingdom. Lord, thank you for accepting me and receiving me and thank you for the mighty work that you did in sacrifice. And we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you did accept him, or you weren't living for him, and you recommitted yourself tonight, please reach out to us. Or if you're not sure and you have questions, please call the number on the screen or email I would love to be able to come, converse, chat, or email with you to help you to understand what I was teaching tonight. And now, Lord, I bless your people, and I thank you for them. As we close this service, I thank you, Lord, that you made us the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath, that we are blessed in all of our ways, that we are greatly blessed, highly favored, and deeply loved, and we are blessed to be blessings. Go forth and live in those blessings tonight, and we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.